0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. In Indiana, we call this oil. But in some parts of Tennessee, you call it all. If you're in New York, you would call that a sub. But if you're in Philadelphia, you'd call it a hoagie. Some people might say this is a picture of New Orleans, others would say it's a picture of New Orleans, and still others would say it's a picture of Nons, and for some people this is a Coke. Sprite just happens to be the kind of Coke that it is, and this is because, as you know, there are various regional dialects and expressions throughout our country, and it's interesting how in the distinctive ways that people talk, you can tell certain things about them. You could discern their origins, their influences, maybe even their occupation by the distinctive ways that they talk. But there ought to be something distinctive about the way you talk as a Christian. You might remember that last month we addressed the value of having a listening heart. And as a companion to that, then this morning I want to address and consider the importance of having a godly tongue. Think about this. If the people sitting next to you this morning were allowed to listen in on the conversations you had this past week with the people in your family, your children, your spouse, your parents or your siblings, or if they were allowed to listen in to the conversations that you had among your friends or with people at work, would they conclude that you have a godly tongue? And how would you know that? What is a godly tongue and what does a godly tongue Sound like? Well, the Apostle Paul actually furnishes us with a very concise and helpful description of what a godly tongue sounds like in just one verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. So that's our text this morning, just that one verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them and turn to that passage. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to find one in one of the seats underneath you. We have paperback Bibles there. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you and consider it a gift. From us here at new life we would love for you to have that but our text is on page 569 again just one verse so let's stand if you're able for the reading of god's word we just won't stand for very long this morning just ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 this is god's word to us let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You can be seated. There are three qualities of a godly tongue that are identified just in this one verse, and the first is this. A godly tongue avoids corrupting speech. A godly tongue avoids corrupting speech. Now before we get too far into this, let me uh, set the stage or the context in which we find this verse in, ch- in verse 29 of chapter 4. In this letter to the Ephesians, Paul proclaims the blessings of God's saving work toward his people in the church. He reminds them of how God chose them to be holy and blameless in Christ Jesus, how he has adopted them, how he has taken their dead spiritual hearts and raised them to new life and seated them in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, how he has saved them by grace through faith in him, and how he has brought them into a covenant community in the church to grow in spiritual maturity together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul also reminds them and us that being saved transforms all of our relationships, and he'll begin to talk about this at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, but he also reminds us here in chapter 4, he's going to stress that being saved transforms every aspect of our daily lives by calling us in verse 22 to put off the old nature and calling us in verse 24 to put on the new nature in Christ Jesus. We are to put off the old and put on the new. And then he he begins to unpack that here in chapter 4 in verse 25. Where he says we are to put off falsehood, put on the truth. We are to put off sinful anger and to put on speedy conflict resolution, that we might live reconciled lives. He calls us to put off stealing and theft and put on hard work and generosity. And then he tells us to put off corrupting speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And so a godly tongue avoids corrupting speech. But what exactly does that mean? What is corrupting speech? What are we to understand by that? Well, this Greek word... It's translated corrupting in the ESV and corrupt in the King James. It's translated as unwholesome in the NIV and the NASB. It's also used in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, where Jesus says this, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. That word for bad right there is the same word for corrupting here in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 29, so the connotation is that it's rotten. It's rotten speech. So like rotten fruit or spoiled food in the refrigerator, this rotten and corrupting speech is unacceptable. It's unprofitable. It's distasteful. It's odious and can even be harmful. It doesn't nourish those who receive it. In fact, it can make us ill. It can make us sick in spirit. It emits an uneasy atmosphere Around us, uneasy moods and tones are created by its unpleasantness. It creates a rottenness around us. So when we think of corrupting speech, we shouldn't think of just bad words, what we might call cuss words that we're just not supposed to say. We can become overly sensitive to avoid those kinds of words, and then we neglect or ignore the heart and the spirit behind much of the rest of our speech if we think of corrupting speech in that kind of limited way. You know, there's a lot of things that you could call a bad driver, which is defined by me as anybody who's not driving like me. That's what a bad driver is. But there's lots of things you could call a bad driver, but is calling that bad driver an idiot, or a moron, or a jerk, really a pure form of speech just because we're not using the less acceptable forms in that? It's still malicious and disrespectful speech to use toward another person. How do you feel when somebody calls you an idiot? (laughs) So we shouldn't limit it in those kinds of ways. We should also recognize that some people really are idiots and morons and worse. And so it's worth considering whether those stronger forms of speech are actually appropriate and fitting in some context to describe the wickedness and evil that are perpetrated by people. Which is why when my kids were young and they would ask me if such and such was a bad word, I would never answer the question yes or no. I would answer that question by saying some words are strong words. And because they're strong words, we should be very cautious and guarded about the way we use certain words. For example, some of you might be nervous about what I'm going to use as an example. Let's just, let's just use this. Hell. Hell is not a bad word. It's a word in the English translations of our Bibles. But it is a strong word. And so we should be guarded and careful about how we use it. God is a strong word. It's a weighty word. It's a glorious word because of the one to whom we're referring when we use that word. And therefore, we should only use that word with reverence. We should never make light of that word, ever, same with the word Jesus and Christ. That's a precious name and a precious title and we should only use it in an honoring and loving way. Holy is another strong word and a word that we often use far too casually. These are words that we find being used far too casually, not just in the culture, but in the church we use these words casually. So just to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we should start using more language that people around us might find offensive. I'm suggesting that we need to broaden our concept of what constitutes corrupting speech. It's not just this list of off-limit words, four-letter words that we're not supposed to use. Corrupting speech is any speech that is contrary to God and to his glory and to his truth. Any speech that is contrary to light and to life and the expression of love for others. Corrupting speech is speech that tears other people down. It destroys, it injures, and it darkens the soul. Corrupting speech includes things like this. Insults that insult, hurt, or degrade other people. Exaggerations or unfair caricatures that cast people in a negative light or misrepresents their positions or their character. It includes false accusations, And slander, deceit, lying, gossip, blaspheming God, his character, his truth, his word, misrepresenting his word. It includes things like complaining against his providence or complaining against others. As you know, that that can be very corrupting. It can spread. Complaining spreads to those around us. It gets into the atmosphere. It includes things like tempting or enticing other people to do what is wrong, to fall into sin, to cause them to think erroneous and false things. And it includes any kind of selfish talk that seeks to manipulate and control others in order to get what we want. That's corrupting speech. And by the way, this description of corrupting speech does not just apply to the words that come out of our mouths. All these things also apply to the words that we would post on social media so look at that list and ask yourself if you've represented the Lord in your speech in these ways or failed to represent him in these ways have you spoken with an ungodly tongue have you posted on social media with an ungodly tongue because see a godly tongue avoids corrupting speech completely let no corrupting talk Regardless of the setting, regardless of the situation, and regardless of how you might be feeling in the moment, it avoids corrupting speech. Of course, this might make us think, well, the better option is probably just not to say anything, given the danger that we sense in corrupting speech, and given the predisposition we feel to uttering these kinds of words. But a godly tongue is not just about refraining from certain kinds of speech. A godly tongue is also about adopting or verbalizing fitting or appropriate or good or righteous speech. Specifically, a godly tongue adopts edifying speech. This is the putting on component here. The putting off component is corrupting speech. We are to put off the corrupting speech that tears down and we are to put on edifying speech Only such as is good for building up. There's where the edifying comes from. To edify is to build up. And so we replace the corrupting talk of the old nature with edifying talk, talk that builds up of the new nature. But again, what constitutes edifying speech? What is speech that builds up? How are we to understand that? Well, we actually get a clue right here in the letter to the Ephesians. And it's actually right here in chapter 4 where Paul uses the same word for building up earlier in the chapter. In verses 11 through 13, we read this. Paul writes, and Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And what is this work of ministry? It's building up, there's the word right there. Building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So notice from these verses that this building up, this edifying speech promotes three things. It promotes unity of the faith. It brings people together in the truth, solidifies people in relationships in the truth, unifying the faith Also, it promotes the knowledge of the Son of God, the person and the work of Jesus is promoted by this talk that edifies and builds up. And then the third thing is it encourages maturation and growth in Christlikeness. That's what edifying speech does. It unifies in the faith, it promotes knowledge of the Son of God, and it builds up and directs others toward Christlikeness. These are the concerns that govern edifying speech. But notice also that we are to adopt this edifying speech as fits the occasion, or as the NIV puts it, according to the needs of others, building others up according to their needs. And so this means that in edifying speech, we are to be sensitive to the person to whom we are speaking. What do I know about this other person that ought to influence what I say and how I say it? Paul Tripp is helpful here by asking us a number of questions that are good for us to think through. And he writes these questions. When we're thinking about the person to whom we're speaking, is it a man, a woman, boy or girl? Is it someone our own age, younger or older? Is it a longtime friend, a casual acquaintance or a virtual stranger? Is it a family member, a distant relative or a neighbor? Is the person a believer, a seeker? Or lost? What is his or her knowledge and experience of the truths of Scripture? And how receptive is this person to my ministry? Now, notice how relational dynamics factor into what constitutes edifying speech. In our speech, we need to be sensitive to relational dynamics, and we have to recognize that in many of our relationships, we haven't established enough capital, we haven't established enough trust to say certain things yet. We haven't established a relationship that allows that person to know that our words are always coming from a position of love and care and concern. And that's okay because we don't have to say everything that is to be said all at once. Take time to build trust. And remember the words of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing get up early in the morning and try to bless somebody, they're going to take it as a curse because timing matters. That's what this wisdom from Proverbs is telling us. Timing of our words matters. And so this leads us to not only be sensitive to the person, but to be sensitive to the situation, to the timing, and to the circumstances into which we are speaking. What best fits the occasion? Is it a word of encouragement Is it an affirmation of our love and support, a word of patience and kindness that this person needs to hear, would best be suited to hear from us? Does this person need to hear a confession of wrongdoing or sin from us, a request of forgiveness? Or does this person need to hear a word of forgiveness for a wrongdoing that he or she has committed against us? Is there a passage from God's word that applies to the situation that can be used to address this person's doubts or discouragement or fear, anxiety, shame, guilt, insecurities, things that can address where this person is at, something to address this person's depression. Is there a sin that needs to be named and brought to light that this person needs to be confronted with, a sin to be named, anger, resentment, bitterness, envy, greed, coveting, hardness of heart, pride, Self-righteousness, ingratitude, are those things needing to be called to account? Is there a word of gratitude to be expressed either by you or by the person? Is a word of praise to God most fitting to the situation? Does this person need to be assured, affirmed, comforted, consoled? Or does this person need to be challenged, corrected, confronted, or rebuked? The reality is, is that what is fitting often depends on the person, the situation, and the timing. It depends, and so it requires a lot of discernment about what constitutes edifying speech in the moment. And so you need to seek God's wisdom. You need to consider God's word and how it applies to the situation. And you need to consider the person. You need to consider the person's heart, the person's personality, the person's receptivity, your relationship with the person. You need to consider the person's propensities, inclinations, and weaknesses. And if you don't know the person that well, well, that means you're gonna have to be prepared to do a good deal of listening first before you speak. And if you remember from last month with a listening heart, that's a good practice even if you do know the person well. So this can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming to avoid corrupting speech and overwhelming to adopt edifying speech. But one thing that simplifies this is that regardless of the person or the situation, your objective remains the same in all of your speech. Regardless of the person or the situation, a godly tongue aims at gracious speech. Always aiming at gracious speech. Now gracious speech here refers not so much to the quality or the tone of how we say things, but the intended effect of our speech. The intended effect is aiming at grace, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's a purpose clause in this sentence. In order that it may give grace to those who hear. And so it reminds us that the goal of godly speech is to give grace. Of course, this doesn't mean that gracious speech dodges saying hard things. Gracious speech will readily encourage and comfort as it will challenge and confront. It'll do either. Maybe the better way to think about this gracious speech is to say that aiming at gracious speech means that our words should have a redemptive purpose. That we should think of our words as gifts to people that they are able to receive as blessings, gifts of grace. And that means that our talk should be kingdom-oriented, serving God's gracious purposes above our own. And that's key. That gracious speech serves God's purposes and his concerns Above our own. And of course, that begins by recognizing that we don't belong to ourselves. We have to grapple with that. We don't belong to ourselves. We've been redeemed, which means we've been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus. We belong to him. My body does not belong to me to do whatever I happen to want to do with it. My mind does not belong, ultimately, to me, to think whatever I happen to want to think. And my mouth... And my words do not belong ultimately to me. And so I don't get to say whatever I happen to want to say. Ever. Ever. Because when we're saved, we're called to be ambassadors of Christ Jesus. And we are to serve his interests and his purposes when we talk. And being an ambassador of Christ, that's what an ambassador is, right? To serve the interests and purposes of the one who sent us. That's not a part-time call. That's full-time. That's all the time to talk as an ambassador which means that our talk is about identifying sin, calling sin, sin. But at the same time, speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love and applying the good news of the gospel, sharing the good news of the gospel and calling people to submission and faithful following of the king in Christian discipleship. Those are the the concerns of our speech as we seek to give grace to those who listen. And yet, Isn't it true that so much of our speech is driven by self-interest? So much of our speech is about ourselves. Quote Paul Tripp one more time. He summarizes it well. He says, your words are always in pursuit of some kind of kingdom. You're either speaking as a mini king, seeking to establish your will in your relationships and circumstances, or you are speaking as an ambassador, seeking to be a part of what the king is is doing. A godly tongue aims at gracious speech that serves the purposes of Christ's kingdom and gives grace to those who listen. But you can't give what you don't have. You can't give grace with a godly tongue until you have first received grace from God. Remember that Jesus says that ultimately our words are always a reflection about what's in our hearts. He says in Luke chapter six, verse 45, it's out of the abundance of our hearts that our mouths speak. And when our hearts are dead and lost in sin and in opposition and enmity with God, there's no way we can talk with a godly tongue and speak as an ambassador that serves His gracious purposes. We can't do that until we've had a work of grace in our hearts by Him. But the good news is that God offers us that grace. He gives us that grace in Jesus, who is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God come to us in the flesh and he's not a corrupting word he's not a corrupting word that tears down and destroys and condemns he's a word from God that builds up and lifts up he's a word that is perfectly fitted to our need as sinners in need of redemption and he's a word that brings the light and life of the grace of salvation He's a word that might give God's grace of salvation to those who listen. So have you listened to God's word by turning to Jesus and placing your faith in him? That's the route to a godly tongue. There's no other way. But it's also in knowing this grace of salvation through Jesus Christ and knowing the love and acceptance and security that we have in him It's in knowing those things and being rooted and grounded in those things that frees us from having to make every conversation about ourselves. We don't have to do that anymore because of the love acceptance we have through Christ. We don't have to make every conversation serve our ego. We don't have to constantly worry about protecting ourselves or defending ourselves or justifying ourselves to hide our insecurities. We don't have to constantly prove to other people that we're always right and can never be wrong because we're able to be humble because of the acceptance and love we've received in grace. And we don't have to make sure our words are always making other people happy and never upsetting them because we can speak as ambassadors. By God's grace, we can exercise a godly tongue that's not designed to make us seem better in the eyes of other people. And it's not designed even to make other people feel better about themselves. But a godly tongue that's designed to point people to the living God and to Jesus the word, so that they can counter his truth and his grace. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that every sentence we say has to explicitly mention the name of Jesus. That's not what a godly tongue aiming at gracious speech sounds like, but it does mean that all of our speech should contain a measure of an expression of God's truth, his wisdom, his goodness, his care, and his grace. It should always express a measure of that because one of the things we've been learning about in the book of Genesis is that one of the first things we learn about our God is that he's a God who speaks. He speaks is one of the first things we learn about God and that's part of what it means for us to be made in God's image. Like God, we are a people of speech, we are people of language, we're people who use words. Animals communicate but only humans adopt language with words because we're made in the image of God and because we're made in the image of God, All of our language, all of our words, all of our speech should reflect something of his character and serve his purposes. The story is told about a Major League Baseball player who was speaking to inmates in a prison. And during the course of the time that he was there, one of the inmates asked him how it was that he became to be such a good baseball player. And the player thought about it for a moment. He said, well, I suppose it started when I was a kid, when I'd play baseball in the backyard with my dad. My dad would always tell me, son, you keep throwing like that, you're gonna end up in the major leagues. Son, you keep swinging the bat like that, you're gonna be a professional baseball player. And I heard that over and over again, and well, here I am. And the inmate thought for a second, and he said, you know, that same thing happened to me. When I was a kid, my dad always would tell me that you're good for nothing, you're never gonna amount to anything, and you'll probably end up in prison one day. And Well, here I am. The story illustrates the truth of this proverb from Proverbs 18:21: Death and life are in the power of the tongue. An ungodly tongue is corrupting. It tears down, it destroys, it darkens, and it leads to death. But a godly tongue avoids corrupting speech, it adopts edifying speech, and it aims at gracious speech that gives life by reflecting the life and the goodness of Jesus, the word made flesh. So you've got a decision to make. You've got a choice to make about the words you're gonna use and whether they're gonna flow from a godly tongue or an ungodly tongue. And so may God in his grace give each and every one of us a listening heart and a godly tongue. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we wanna confess to you this morning our corrupting speech. We pray for your forgiveness and we thank you that the blood of Jesus atones for all of the words that we've spoken that are rotten and corrupting and not glorifying to you. And we thank you for your spirit that equips us to speak with a godly tongue. Would you enable us to do that more and more? A godly tongue that honors you and blesses others with light and life through Jesus, who is the word made flesh. Help us to do that by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.